Are you glad to be in church tonight? I am so glad you're here, and we're going to enjoy the word of the Lord tonight. I'm not going to ask you to stand this evening and reread Revelation 6. We read that last week, but I want to start tonight right into, and then we're going to work our way back through Revelation 6. I kind of broke out for you what the seals meant last week, but now I'd like to talk to you about what the message of Revelation chapter 6 is. Now we're beginning to see the beginning of the end. But before we get there, what I'd like to do is just talk to you for a few moments, number one, about the rapture, the rapture of the church. The rapture will be a surprise when it happens. The Bible says no man knows the time or the hour of the Lord's return. Jesus even described the rapture as being the time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17, And if you want to just go ahead and fill in your outline while they get the notes up, the rapture will be a surprise. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever." We've talked about this many times before of how that this is going to be a sudden event. It's going to be a catching away event. The word rapture is not found in the Bible, but the word parousia is, and it means a catching away, and it's, which is what we mean by the rapture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 52, Paul writes these words, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have been died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also still be transformed. What will take place at the rapture of the church? What will take place is there will come a time before the great tribulation begins that we're going to be studying about this week and the next week. Kevin Larson is going to be home and he's going to be preaching for us in the Wednesday night service. How many of you remember Kevin and Ramanita? And so I've asked Kevin if he would speak for us. I told him that you would just be looking forward to hearing him. And Ramanita is going to sing in the service next Sunday night, so you, uh, Wednesday night, so you want to be sure and be here. And but the week after that, I'll pick right back up and we'll start at Revelation 7 because what we're seeing in Revelation 6 and 7 is beginning of the Great Tribulation. What I want you to know is I believe that the rapture, this is the position of this church, it's the position of the assemblies of God. We believe that the rapture of the church happens before the Great Tribulation. I have tried to be very uh, uh, fair to every other group as we've built up to this to talk about the different positions that churches take. I've studied this now for almost all of my life. I've studied this ever since before I became a, uh, entered into my 20s. As a matter of fact, my mother and I were talking on the phone earlier this week, and I said, Mother, I remember the first time I actually got down on my knees and prayed about understanding the rapture. And I said, as a young man, I said, I, I remember, I said, we were at Mrs. Bell's house, and I said, I knelt down beside a bed at Mrs. Bell's house in Moultrie, Georgia, and I said, Lord, I know this is wrong. I feel bad for even saying this, but this is just the truth. There are some things I want to do before you come back, and so I hope you don't come back before I get to do them, because you know there are a lot of lost people that need to get saved. But the real reason in my heart, Lord, is I want to do these things before you come back. 
And I think that's a natural drive. I think it's a natural desire of every young person that wants to grow up and wants to experience life. We want our children to have that. And we never need to teach and preach the rapture in a way that frightens our children or makes them discouraged. We need to preach this for what it is, is the blessed hope of the church. It's something we look forward to, but in the meantime, we're going to live with all the gusto that God gives us for his glory and for his honor. We are here to win, not to lose. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that tonight? <laughs> Hallelujah. We're here to win and not to lose. Well, I see the screens are blank, so I don't know what's going on. So you'll need to follow me close in your outlines this evening. One of the reasons that I believe that the rapture happens before the tribulation of the church, just to give you a little bit of background, is the Bible is very clear that the followers of Jesus Christ will be protected from the wrath of God. I deliberately don't use the word Christian here, not because I don't believe that genuine Christians won't be protected from the wrath of God, but there are so many who culturally call themselves Jesus, but they've never committed themselves to following Christ. They've never committed themselves to following and living and being disciple for Jesus Christ. So I think there are a lot of people, for instance, there are certain countries that Becky and I have ministered in, that when you are born, it is stamped on your, on your paperwork if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. And it's never been an opportunity for you to give your life to Christ or you're never evangelized. And so some of those nations, if you ask them if they're a Christian, of course I'm a Christian. I was born a Christian. It's on my birth certificate. I'm a Christian, you know. So they really know nothing about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I chose to put here, followers of Jesus will be protected from the wrath of God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 says, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, is it in your outline? Read it with me. He will certainly save us from... The word literally means God's wrath. Let's look at the next passage, a little bit longer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, to verse 8. You don't have to read it out loud, but let me read it to you. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. In other words, the Thessalonican church, they had gotten excited about the kingdom of God. They had gotten excited about preaching the gospel. They were sharing with people as they came and went through their city. They said, and now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. Your faith in God, not Paul's faith in God, not Peter's faith in God, but your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us, how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God, and they speak of how you are looking forward to, read it with me, the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus Christ, whom God has raised from the dead. Read the last sentence. He... I guess I should have kind of led that. That was, let's try that last sentence again. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour his anger out upon us. 
Brothers and sisters, I think the scripture clearly teaches that the rapture of the church will happen before the great tribulation. I don't say that because I'm a coward. I don't say that because I'm fearful. I say that because I stand upon the word of the Lord. If I thought the word of God taught that we would go through the tribulation, I would stand up here and preach and teach that to you tonight. But we are saved from the wrath of God that has come upon this world. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? I think that's kind of cool. Somebody asked me one time, well, so what are you going to do if you're wrong and you find yourself in the middle of the tribulation? Then I'm going to stand up and I'm going to very humbly say, I was wrong. Get ready. <laughs> I mean, what else can you do? A man that is too proud to say he's wrong, it is a man that's doomed to fail. But if you will humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, he will lift you up in due time. So never be afraid to take a bold stand upon the word of the Lord. Never be afraid to take a confident stand upon the word of the Lord. But never be afraid to admit if you've studied and you've prayed and you see that maybe there's been some error to say, I was wrong, forgive me, and move on. But in the meantime, with all of my heart, I thank God that we are protected from the wrath that has come upon this world. There is coming a time where a trumpet is going to sound. This world is going to be surprised when people like you and me, we are raptured out of this world and we are in the presence of Christ. I think it's going to be a time where people are going to try to explain. There will be a great deception. We'll get into that later as we go through the book of Revelation. There will be a great deception to come upon the whole world because we are so massively connected. Our grandparents could not have dreamed of how massively connected we are around the world today. When Becky's grandfather was in World War II, his wife, Granny Ruby, would go months without being able to hear from him. So here we are. We stand with authority upon what God's Word says. And there's where we plant our flag and there's where what we believe works out in our lives. If this does not bring us comfort, if this does not bring us courage, then there is no way that if the tribulation was to happen uh, before the rapture of the church, that the church would be prepared. It's not a matter of cowardice. And when people say to me who disagree with this, and for some reason or another think the church is supposed to go through the great tribulation, that people who believe in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church that those people are just cowards and they're looking for an escape route from the tribulation. Nothing could be further from the truth. We hold just as much to our convictions of faith. I hold just as much to my conviction of faith that it is God's will to save everybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ just as much as a Calvinist would say that God wills some of you to be saved and the rest of you to be damned. I don't criticize them for believing that. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I will always plant my feet solidly upon the fact that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life, and that the Bible says that this gospel should be preached to every man, every woman, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. There is no one that God doesn't love and God doesn't save. That's the word of God, and because someone believes that doesn't make them a heretic. Brothers and sisters, there are more people who believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church that believe that the church is going through the tribulation. And so we have to come to a place where we're firmly convinced and we're firmly planted. But I will say it again with humility. If for some reason that we're wrong, it won't take long for us to know we're wrong. <laughs> and we will say, I'm sorry. But guess what? 
we'll just walk through it with them and we'll say, tell us what you know already. Can somebody say amen to that? Does that sound fair? I'm trying to be fair to our Christian brothers and sisters because I find out people, there's two things that people like to fuss about. They like to fuss about eschatology, the study of the end times, and they like to fuss about who's going to be saved. Friends, none of it's worth fussing about with my brothers and sisters. If you want to go through the tribulation, go ahead. Build yourself a big old food bank. Buy yourself all the guns you can buy. See how that's going to work out when there's a thousand hungry people outside your door. They're going to come in and get it. Hello? If you think that's going to protect you from the wrath of God, the antichrist, go ahead. You put all the grits and rice and butter beans in your basement that you want to. That's not going to protect you. Only one thing will protect you, and that's the blood of the Lamb. And he says the blood of the Lamb will protect us from the coming wrath of God. I'm feeling right now like he's playing with that handle. It could happen tonight. We could go up tonight. Somebody say, come on, victory. Well, secondly, I want to look at these seals because these seals have a lot to do. Now, I've told you the seals, the bowls, and the trumpets, they all happen at the same time. And we work through that as it goes on. But I believe the first four seals have to do with what happens for the first half of the tribulation. We looked at those last week. The seals reveal what's going to happen, I believe, during the tribulation time. Number one, the, the white horse represents conquest. We talked about that. I looked up, I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head and he rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. What's missing in this picture? He's got a bow, no arrows. He's got a bow, but he's got no arrows. This is, I believe, the man that the Bible talks about that will come saying, peace, 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 and all the world will follow after him. He will ride out. He will win many battles. It will be a bloodless battle. He will come to power because he promises the world peace. Our country has been in war now, at war now for almost 20 years nonstop in the Middle East. Our country tonight, was upon the verge of having to deal with China as China, as I told you a number of years ago, I don't know if you remember on a Wednesday night when I preached about what China proposed to do with what they're calling the, the, the pearl necklace that they're doing around the southeast of Asia and building artificial islands. They hadn't started that yet. But now they've done it. They've armed them. They put anti-aircraft missiles on there. They've got that route set up. We see Russia that any time that there's any weakness shown by the United States or by Europe, Russia immediately rushes in to fill that gap and upholds dictators. We see the nations of the world gathering all around about Israel. And we hear people from the European Union and people even here in the United States who are tired of Israel thinking that somehow or another if we could just get rid of the Jewish question that maybe we would have peace in the Middle East. Brothers and sisters, what they don't understand is that the book of Genesis that we just studied is very clear that the tribe of Ishmael will always struggle with one another. They will always be. If there was no Israel, there would still be war between the Sunnis and the Sufis and all the other Arabic groups that are over there. There would still be war and there would still be terrorism. 
Lest you forget, it wasn't that long ago in our lifetimes, in our memories, when Iraq and Iran were fighting each other and Iran was sending child soldiers across the battlefields to walk across the mines so their soldiers would not be killed, but they would send their own children over there telling these children they were going to immediately go into paradise. And the memory of Americans is so short and the memory of Europeans is so short and the literal where thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of times of corpses would lie on the battlefields between Iraq and Iran. I want you to know the only nation in that area that has any sort of genuine stability and any sort of divine plan is that little holy place that God has called Israel. It's the reason that the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And as we get further into the book of Revelation, you will see how fundamentally important it is that Israel is to the end time events and how Israel stands as a guidepost. But we're at a time of world war right now. Literally, the world is preparing for war. We don't know when it's going to happen. China doesn't want to see it happen because China wants to continue to make money. I think Russia would like to see it happen because the bear has always somehow or another been able to expand its borders and expand its wealth, not through democracy and not through commerce, not even through Peter the Great, not even through Catherine the Great, not through the czars. They've always been able to expand their borders and they've always been able to become wealthier and more powerful as they have conquered other nations and moved out. And so you see that a two and a half billion dollar bridge has just recently been built from Russia across that little isthmus that they stole from Croatia. And, and that they built that bridge there. Friends, the world is getting ready. It may not happen in my lifetime. It may not happen in my children's lifetime. But what we have to know, I believe that we are living in a generation that the, every nation and every tongue can be successfully evangelized, but every home can be reached with the power of the gospel. This week, Becky and the staff and I were at a wonderful meeting, a pro-life meeting, and one of the things that they talked about was how now, because of young people with their cell phones, your smartphones, the geotagging that uh, Right for Life is buying, that when you enter into certain areas, that upon your apps or upon your iPhone or upon your Android phone, the apps, the ads that they have purchased, the messages they have purchased will automatically appear on your iPhones because of a technology called geomapping. I'm sure there's a way right now that we could block that if we wanted to, but there aren't many people blocking those kinds of things. When you see right now that the church is using this technology for good, but the world is also using it for profit and for pleasure, you can see how governments and big technology as Facebook and the Senate and the Congress are saying, you know, let's work together. The European Union and Facebook are saying, let's work together. When you get the two of them together, every single home will be able to be reached. 20 years ago in Africa, I marveled that there were no phone lines and there were no power lines. But somehow or another, when I went to Kisumu, when I went up into the mountains of Aksum, and when I went up into Ethiopia and Uganda, when I went up towards uh, uh, close to Eritrea, everywhere I went 20 years ago, I saw people with cell phones in their hand, talking on cell phones, being able to do things that we couldn't do in America because the cell phone companies wanted to hold the technology back here in America. When I went into places deep in South America, there were people without education, living in shacks, but they had cell phones. Friends, the network has been set up. We are at the beginning of the end. And I don't say that to frighten you. This is good news for the church. It's why also 
because the world is at war, the technology exists, there is a longing for peace, there will come a man that the Bible prophesies about, that he will come promising peace and the world will follow after him. But somewhere along the way, a red horse appears. A red horse appears, and I told you these represent the four periods of history. We've seen this through all of history, but they're all going to come together. A red horse appears, and he represents bloodshed. Things are going to begin to turn ugly. Things are going to begin to turn hideous. Then another horse appeared, and a red one, its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to do what? Take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. And the man who came promising peace, suddenly things will not go the way he wants them to go. Israel will begin to recognize he is not who they said he was. Israel will begin to stand up against him. A longing for the Messiah will begin to arise. And suddenly it will turn bloody and brutal. Perhaps the first three and a half years will be prosperous years. Perhaps the first three and a half years will be flourishing years. Perhaps the first three and a half years because of peace will be a time of great investment, but suddenly things will not go the way that this man of sin, as the Bible calls him, will want it to go, and suddenly he will go out to make conquest and there will be bloodshed and slaughter everywhere. The black horse represents scarcity and famine. War always brings scarcity. War always brings famine. We have lived through a very unusual time where less than 1% of our nation has been fighting the battles that are taking place in the Middle East right now. They're not even on the news every morning. They're not even on the news every night. They don't hear much about it unless somebody blows up a, a church or a synagogue or unless somebody drives a suicide bomb or a mosque is blown up. You don't hear much about it. But we have young men and women today who are still losing limbs and are still dying on the battlefields. But we don't want to hear about that. We want to hear about Stormy Daniels. We want to hear about all these other things with Donald Trump. We want to hear about the economy and the stock market. We want to hear about gun control and the Constitution. We want to hear about whether little boys should be able to use little girls' bathrooms, whether little girls should be able to use little boys' bathrooms. We don't want a Girl Scout program for Girl Scouts because that's gender exclusive. And we don't want a Boy Scout program for Boy Scouts. And now some little boys and some little girls, contrary to what the adults who think they're making good decisions are saying, I don't want to be a Boy Scout. I want to be a Girl Scout, or I don't want to be a Girl Scout. I want to be a Boy Scout. But there are deluded Americans who believe that somehow or another, we've got to make all gender issues disappear in order that we can say marriage and family is what we say it is rather than what God says it is. And so while we do these things in this very unusual time that we live in, we have plenty to eat. We have plenty in our grocery stores. We have plenty of gasoline to buy. We're able to buy it. We're able to heat and cool our homes. But when this time happens after this time of perhaps great peace that the Antichrist promises, it will probably be a more abundant time than what we know now. When war happens, scarcity and famine come upon immediately because it's always been the history of conquered people to suffer scarcity and famine. It's the reason the Bible says when the Lamb breaks the third seal, I heard the third living being say, come. I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. You're looking at universal chaos right here. 
If you think this is a chaotic world we live now because of the social issues that I just talked to you about, if you think this is a chaotic world, you wait till the whole world is hungry. I told you last week how that my family and I were at a ministering and burying 100 children a day simply because there wasn't enough food for them to eat. I talked to you a little bit about what we felt at night coming home, not even wanting to eat the food that was set in front of us, how our boys left everything behind and would bring nothing behind and how we came back and shared that with the state of Georgia and church after church flocked down to help and to work during that time. Friends, that was an isolated event that broke and shattered my heart. It began to change my thinking of the chaos and the prejudice and how some people could drive by it every day and ignore it because as long as my family was okay, it didn't matter about your family. That is not the way of the follower of Christ. And imagine what this world will be like when there is the church has been raptured out of here, when the salt and the light has been raptured out of here, when the people who started the schools and the people who started the hospitals and the people who started the banks and the people who gave birth to science, imagine when the salt and light has been raptured out of this place, it will be a time of chaos. It will literally be a time where people will destroy one another in order to get a little food. And those aren't merely exaggerated words and hyperbolic words from me tonight. Our history of human beings tell us that this happened. The Bible says then that there will be another seal broken, the fourth seal and the pale green horse that we talked about last night. It represents death. God is a patient God. God is not willing that any should perish. But the Bible is very clear that there is coming a time of judgment upon this earth, a time that no man or woman can stand if God doesn't shorten that period of time. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being saying, come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. We talked about that last week, the word chloros. Its rider was named Death, and its companion was the grave, and the two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. And last week, I talked to you about how this could happen and how two, approximately two billion people, if it was to happen today, approximately two billion people would perish. And sometimes people will read this figure, and I've heard people scoff and laugh at this. There's no way that a quarter of the world's population would die. And we talked about the bubonic plague and how something as simple as a rat could carry a plague and cause something like this to happen. Recently, Becky and I were in Washington, D.C., <clears throat> And we decided to go for a walk around the Capitol, the U.S. Capitol that night. Nobody warned us about the giant rats that warmed the National Mall. Look as big as cats that run out everywhere from underneath chairs and underneath bushes. And I remember saying to Becky, how do the homeless survive out here with all of these rats? This is in our nation's capital. Places that we would walk by where the homeless were huddled together and begging. Literally sidewalks in the front of buildings would be gathered together. When I ask about that, and rat bites and infections. They said, it's a huge problem that we have here, but nobody wants to talk about it because everybody wants to focus on the things that make America look good and look great. Understand this tonight. If God's word says it, you can count on it. Then during this time of tribulation, this is going to be what's happening. And if it can happen in America, imagine in a beautiful city like Asuncion, Paraguay. Imagine in a beautiful, in one of the world's most populated 
cities like Sao Paulo. Imagine it happening in Paris or imagine it happening in Moscow. Imagine it happening in Nairobi tonight. Imagine it in Tokyo or Peking or anywhere else in the world. This is not that far off from the imagination in my mind this evening of how this could happen with the spread of disease and airborne diseases. We've seen already how our world has responded quickly when there have been contagious diseases that literally have cost doctors from the United States their lives as they've gone to minister to those in Africa in order to keep those diseases within the last three years, the last three years to keep those diseases from leaving the countries of Africa, going to Europe or going to the Middle East or coming to an airport like Atlanta or New York City where it would quickly have spread around the world. Those things appear as a flash in the pan. We give them no thought because we look at the news next morning. I'm submitting to you that we are already living in a dangerous time that is ripe for the appearing of the man of sin. And then there is a fifth. There is a fifth seal that is opened up. And this begins, this is those martyrs who have denied the Lord. I believe this begins that second half of the tribulation. For here we see people beginning to die because of their faith. We see people not only who have died, but people who will die during the tribulation. I believe it also includes all of those that have been martyred before uh, this time appears. I believe that people like Stephen will be there. But when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. And they shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they've done to us? And then a white robe was given to each of them. We talked about the white robe and what it meant of purity last week and a martyr's death. And they were told to rest a little while until the full number of their brothers and sisters, circle that phrase, full number, circle that phrase, full number of their brothers and sisters, and then underline this following phrase, their fellow servants, who were to be martyred. I believe this seal is the opening of what is very clearly the second half of the tribulation, and these are those tribulation saints that you have read about before. And I hope I'm not going too fast for you tonight, but I've still got a lot of ground to cover. You still tracking with me? A lot of ground to cover here. And then the sixth seal opens up, and this is God's judgment upon the unbelieving world. Last week I had just a little bit of time to deal with this before we closed. I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. And the sun became dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. The stars of the earth fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. We talked about this last week and how a star, the closest star to us was four and a half light years away. We talked about what would happen if a star hit our planet. John, perhaps though, now that I explained that last week and dealt with that, let me just say, perhaps what John is seeing is a meteor shower. Perhaps what John is seeing is, a, is, the, is the explosion of a meteor and bits of it coming and hitting our earth. Something is going to happen. So I, you have to use your imagination here. Remember, we're looking, we've talked about this when we started this series a number of weeks ago about prophetic imagery and prophetic literature. But stay with me. Then the then the sky was rolled up like a scroll and all the mountains, the islands were moved from their places. And you say, how is that going to happen, pastor? Is it just, you know, is God going to reach down and smite the planet? 
I remember when I discovered what is called a supervolcano and what would happen if a supervolcano went off in our world in our world. Does anyone anybody happen to know where a supervolcano is located in the United States? Wyoming. It's called Yellowstone Park. One of the most beautiful places on the planet. When we took our family there, it's something we all still talk about. But that is literally the crater of a supervolcano. If that thing was to erupt, what you're seeing in Hawaii right now are Krakatoa that affected for 40 years, if I understand correctly, that Krakatoa affected for 40 years the weather patterns of this world. If a supervolcano was to explode like that, then that continental rift that goes around our globe, that if you remember Dr. Grady McMurtry pointed out to us, and that just recently, in preparing for this message, I went back to National Geographic to look at what they had about it, and they were talking about the constant shifting of the tectonic plates and what could happen one day possibly could happen. Either, the, either all the continents could come colliding together or either all the continents could get further apart. But what would happen if, that, if something like a supervolcano went off and a meteorite shower began to happen at the same time, striking this earth? Friends, this world would literally see the mountains move and shake and the sky be blackened and the sky literally looks like it rolls up like a scroll as though plumes from that volcano began to eclipse the sun like it did for those in Krakatoa. Not only would weather patterns be changed, but according to some seismologists and according to some geologists who study things like this, a sudden earthquake like that or a sudden eruption of a supervolcano could bring life as we know it to an end upon this planet. Could bring. Again, I don't say these things to frighten you. I just tell you these things tonight. These are in the realms of possibility and nature and this is our Father's world and he holds this world in his hands and there's only one who can save this world, not the, just the people in this world, but can save this planet and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. You can pray to Mother Nature all you want to. You can chant to Gaia all you want to. You can pray to river gods and you can pray to demonic spirits, but they will do nothing for you. The only one that can deliver us is the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, the author and the beginner, the alpha and the omega. Can we give him a hand of praise tonight? Well, then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains. Let's stop there. Becky and I have enjoyed watching the TV show called Madam Secretary. Does anybody else watch that television show? It's about a lady that becomes the secretary of the state. And the episode they did this last week was built off of something that must have happened in 1979 when Jimmy Carter was president and there was a, 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 a fluke in the computer systems and the Jimmy Carter almost launched a missile attack against the Soviet Union. And this week the episode was that there had been a, another fluke in the computer systems and over 200 nuclear missiles were coming from Russia to the United States and the president gave the order for an all-out attack upon the Soviet Union and the president and the cabinet were up in the air in Air Force One and everyone was depressed because they were saying a nuclear winter had come. It would possibly be very few would begin to survive and you could literally, the actors were so good, you could see the fear upon their faces. You could see the worry. Well, the, 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 the president's chief of staff said, 
Mr. President, should I call my wife? And the president looked at me and said, what good would it do, Russell? What good would it do? And you saw the fear of what could happen with these puny little man-made missiles that are nothing compared to the power of meteors striking this earth or of a super volcano or the wrath of God being poured out upon this earth. You saw their terror. And then thankfully, as it always does, all's well that ends well. It was a fluke. And just at the very last minute as the silos were opening up, it all stopped. And I looked at Becky and I said, that's the most entertaining piece of pro political propaganda I've ever watched. <laughs> you see, friend, our world knows it only takes a moment for something to happen that could end all of our lives as we know it. Madam Secretary and her husband were left behind watching their children waiting just for the seconds to tick away before the missiles descended. He asked her, he says, what were you thinking? She said, I was standing there thinking how much I love my children. She said, what were you thinking? He said, I was standing there thinking they won't be able to know a future like you and I have known. There is a future. And we have to preach and teach this in an encouraging way to our children. We have to remember that when we read this, God is showing us what's about to come. But we cannot be deceived by the politically powerful and the economically influential, nor the cultural elite. We have to keep our faith and allegiance in the word of the Lord. All of these very powerful people, the Bible says they all hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They cried out, fall on us, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive. Everything I have just read to you, and you don't have to agree with every detail that I may have described. I don't know that it's going to be rats. I don't know that it's going to be a super volcano. I don't know that it's going to be a meteorite shower. That's not what I've just tried to help you see. Don't scoff at these prophecies. Look at these prophecies and understand we're not saying how it would happen. We're saying it's all within the realm of possibility of it happening, including what I think is the most spectacular thing, and for the first time that I'm aware of, that everybody in our world can be connected wirelessly now through technology. If any of you read the books that Tim LaHaye published a number of years ago about the rapture, did any of you read any of those books? Do you know what I'm talking about? A number of you did. Wow, a number of you did. You know, it was just almost unbelievable, some of the things. All of that now is so outdated that if Tim LaHaye was still alive, he'd have to edit it to reflect the new technology. And that's just a very recent New York Times bestseller, still a bestseller. So why does God reveal these things to us? Why does God reveal these things to us? And sweetheart, if you'll come on up to the keyboard. God reveals these things to us to protect us from deception. To protect us from deception. With all of my heart, I believe that there is a general deception that is taking place in our world and our culture right now. I believe in many places it's taking place in the church where many people have lost confidence in the word of God, where many people have lost confidence in faith and in prayer. There are many places in third world countries as I talked to you last week that I find their faith to be much greater than the faith of those of us 
who live in the Western world. As I talked about Sunday morning, many places in the third world, I see more genuine miracles happen than I see people willing to believe. I think the spirit of deception is revealed in how easily people can sin against a holy God and say, it's okay, I can say, forgive me, and go on with my life. I think it's very easy to see how in a country as blessed as we are, that people don't want to put God first in their tithe and in their finances. They say, that's my money. You wouldn't have a single red cent if it wasn't for the Lord who blessed you and loved you. God who gave you the strength. God who gave you the backbone to be able to work. I think it's found today in how many children have been indoctrinated in our world who do not believe that the preborn child is a living human being. Even when they've seen and heard the heartbeat of a child. I believe it's seen and it's heard in the spirit of deception that has gripped our world where suddenly marriage doesn't matter. I believe it's seen where people weep over dolphins, weep over wolves, and weep over bears, but can walk past hungry people and their hearts never be moved with compassion. I believe it can be seen where people scorn and hate the refugees, and we're told to love and to feed and to care and to be compassionate. You see, I believe God wants us protected from deception. Our first and our total allegiance is to Jesus Christ. That threatens every government, every empire, every president, every king, and every dictator. That your first allegiance is not to the Constitution of the United States of America, but your first allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a threat to every earthly power. Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Now listen to me. This is to you and me before the rapture. Don't panic. I'm not panicked. I'm a happy camper, and I'm not going camping. I'm a happy man. I love life. I had a Chick-fil-A sandwich tonight. I am blessed and highly favored. I will be going to Harper Hospital a whole lot more. I'll just find reasons to have staff meeting at Harper Hospital. They got a Chick-fil-A restaurant in there. I went and got the car and Becky called me. She says, they got Chick-fil-A. Would you like a chicken sandwich? I said, is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> yes. So while we work through an hour and a half of traffic to get back here. We munched on Chick-fil-A. Yes, these things must take place. Circle that word must. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines. And haven't we been seeing that? Earthquakes and famines. But Jesus says, this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. If you think this is terrible, if you think the hurricane that hit, Hurricane Katrina that hit New Orleans, if you think the tsunami that hit Japan, if you think the famine that hit Ethiopia, I've flown over that country and walked in that country almost completely denuded of trees because and how it's changed the environment there. It's nothing compared to what's going to be happening during the tribulation. 
He reveals these things to warn us of defection. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Boy, I know what I'm going to say is going to be controversial, and there are going to be some people who don't like me. And I, I'm a Southerner. I like for people to like me. But I want to be respected more than I be liked. So if you don't like me, you know, that's okay. But friends, when you deny the Bible as the Word of God, I don't care how holy a garment you put upon yourself to go and stand behind a pulpit. When you preach something other than the Word of God, you're an apostate. When you stand there, I don't care how many crosses and I don't care how religious and how beautiful your pipe organ is, and you stand there and you call what is holy that God has called sin and evil, you're apostate. And somebody might level their finger at me and say, you're judgmental. I'm not judgmental. I love you. I care for you. I'll do anything I can to help you except promote your doctrine. It's not hate. But Jesus tells us these things to warn us of defection because when you walk in sin, sin will make you love you and you only. You will begin to hate your brother and hate your sister. If not, go all the way back to Genesis where I told you everything you find in Genesis, you'll find in Revelation. What happened? Cain slew Abel. And it wasn't long before God destroyed the world because of its violence. Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't destroyed because of its homosexuality. The Bible, the prophets are very clear. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of its violence. To empower, he reveals these things to empower and encourage our testimony about Christ. We need to be told these things. We need to know these truths. Our lost world needs to know these truths. And as we go through this, Tonight is probably the toughest message of all that I'm going to preach about through chapter 18. But our world needs to know these things. The Holy Spirit gives us power to witness, but we need to understand this book. For blessed are the people who read it, blessed are the people who listen to it, and blessed are the people who do it. Say it with me. Do it. God reveals these things because as bad as the great tribulation will be, it will be even worse in eternity. As horrible as the great tribulation will be, hell will be far, far worse than what the great tribulation was. God gives us these things so that we become wise. We know what's happening in this world. God doesn't want us living in this world as though we don't know what's going on. He wants us to be wise about what's going on. He tells us, in spite of all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us, and I am convinced nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. So these are my closing thoughts tonight. The world is headed for Armageddon. I know that's not news people want to hear, and I believe there are very good people that I read behind and that I follow behind that are trying to prevent that. And they should try, and we should try to prevent it as a nation. We should do everything we can. Perhaps another 500 years could pass. Perhaps a, another millennium could pass, or maybe 100 years. We should do everything we can. That's what it means to occupy, to evangelize. But the scripture is very clear there's coming a time 
when the heart of many will grow cold. There are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready, so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all their rulers and all their armies to a place with a Hebrew name, Armageddon. As I stood there looking out over that plain, Part of me just reveled in the beauty, but another part of me shuddered as I thought about what the scripture says about the time that's coming. I want my children and your children, and if God wills, my grandchildren and great-grandchildren to spare that horrible time that comes upon this planet. God is full of grace, mercy, and love, but he will judge those who reject Jesus Christ. God is full of grace, he's full of mercy, he's love. But he will reject, he will judge those who reject. I'm sorry, I didn't realize it was so late. So let me just wrap this up. God does not willingly bring grief. The Bible says in Lamentations 3:22, the last sentence there, he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. That tells me that God is loving. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all your fears, and he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Tonight, if what I have shared with you has frightened you, this is not intended to frighten you. It's to empower you, to make you bold, to make you wise. God rejoices over you. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for the rapture of the church and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get the difference there? We're looking for that. God is faithful. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. And finally, what I see here in Revelation chapter 6 is God is patient. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. It seems when I read the pastoral epistles, Paul expected Jesus to come during his lifetime. There finally came a time when he realized he was going to give his life for the gospel. When I read the church fathers, and boy, how wonderful it is to read, they expected Jesus to return. When I read throughout the, every generation, let me just rush all the way ahead. <clears throat> During the Civil War in my hometown of Macon, Georgia, Mercer University, has one of the best repositories of Civil War letters and Civil War sermons and, and booklets that were written. If you go up <clears throat> to Greenfield Village, you will find in some of the buildings books that were printed in my hometown of Macon, Georgia during the Civil War. Great repository there because Sherman left us alone. But when you read it, they expected Jesus to come. That's why the North's Battle Hymn of the Republic was written like it was. <clears throat> During World War I, they expected Christ to come. During World War II, they expected Christ to come. When somebody asked me, why hasn't he come yet? He's patient. He's patient. He's good. He's kind. Don't ever think God is just a wrathful, vindictive judge, out of control, angry God. God is a loving Father. But there will come a time when the book is shut when that time comes, 
this world will know wrath as it's never known it. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people what? What? I know you're tired. Read it loud. He's done this to make you wise and to empower you for witness because your families, your neighbors, your friends, there's still time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with wisdom that God gave him. This afternoon when Becky and I were at the hospital and just got a message, Mary Grace is out of surgery. We need to give the Lord a hand of praise for that. I mean, this was a very critical surgery. They had to take blood vessels out of her brain, take more blood vessels from within her brain and put them inside the brain. Mary Grace is one of the young women from our church. She's uh, just a beautiful young woman. She's an intensive care nurse at Detroit Receiving Hospital. And she had a a stroke and they found her in her apartment and um, just be praying for her recovery. But tonight, when I got there, families and aunts and uncles and cousins were there and the hospital surgical waiting area Weddell's there at uh, Harper was just full of people and the family asked if I would just pray with them and so we all made a circle and I asked if I could read scripture and something happened in that waiting room that gave me such great hope Busy, chattering, talking people in television suddenly got quiet as we stood in a circle and I read the word of the Lord and then we prayed the prayer of faith and we asked God to heal and to deliver and to preserve her life and to save. And when I opened my eyes, when we finished praying, there were people all over that waiting room. When I was walking up the stairs of the parking tower, I was asking, why did that happen, Lord? You see, when people are hurting and worried, they will listen. You know, it wasn't a coffee shop. It wasn't the mall where people are hurting. Hurting people need to know there is a God that's going to make everything wrong right and that Jesus is going to come for all of those that have put their faith in him. Can you say amen? Amen. Stand with me. Let me pray with you tonight. Jesus, I love you so much, and I thank you for your wonderful grace and all of your blessings to us. (laughs) I thank you that this is a good night. Lord, Mary Grace is out of the hospital. I met with a man to help him plan how to buy property, Lord, for a church today, for a a new church plant. And tomorrow, if you tarry, I I get to meet with some more missionaries wanting to go overseas, and we're going to strategize of how to get them there. You're answering our prayers, and you're raising up laborers for the harvest. So, Lord, this is a great night. This is a great day. But help us to realize You've not given us this space and time to relax or to take our foot off the accelerator. But Lord, we are full speed ahead with the gospel. We are full speed ahead to preach the gospel and to make the name of Jesus known, to make known his glorious name in the good news that Jesus Christ saves. For there is coming a time upon this world, Lord, unlike any it has ever known, And I ask you that you will make every one of us fruitful 
and effective in our witness for you, I pray. God bless these tonight who have come to study and to hear the word of the Lord. For it's in your name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. God bless you.